0: Well, let's read together from the Word of God as we turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, and we're reading the first 14 verses. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If you had a child that was always trying to prove that he belonged to the family, trying to to convince himself and you that he really belonged. Perhaps others have been questioning, maybe other children perhaps just maliciously, you don't really belong to the family, maybe you were left on the doorstep and so on. And the child's anxious. And if the parents saw that then they would be hurt And anxious as well. What's wrong? They'd be rushing, wouldn't they? To reassure the child. You do belong. You're not an outsider. You really belong to the family. Our parents discovered a child who was acting in particular ways. Adopting certain behaviours. So that they would be allowed to stay in the family. That they wouldn't be put out and that their parents would still love them you can imagine how concerned parents would be they'd be doing everything they could to reassure that child you are loved it's not because you do certain things or behave in certain ways that we love you we're your parents we love you you don't have to do these things in order to keep our love or to keep your place in the family isn't that the case And yet, strangely, Christians often behave in those ways in relation to God, Uh, seeking to prove they they belong to God's family by doing certain things and adopting certain habits to to convince themselves or convince others that they, they really belong. And perhaps particularly... Behaving in certain ways to to keep God loving them. To retain uh, their father's love and affection. And yet to live in that way, it is tremendously damaging to somebody's spiritual life. To be living in particular ways to keep God loving you. And to stay in God's family is very destructive. And we see Paul addressing that kind of of thinking, that problem, as he writes to the Galatians. It was obviously an issue in Galatia. And it can be an issue too for us. Do you do things in order to keep God loving you? To make sure you stay in his family? Paul has a word for you, for all of us. Today we're focusing on Galatians 3 and verse 3. We're calling our study, Grace All the Way. Grace All the Way. Galatians 3, 3, Paul writes, Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human Effort. Grace all the way. I want to think first of all of the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism because that really is the background to what Paul is writing here. There are some temptations uh, that seem to arise In the experience of most Christians. Now, there are things perhaps that will never tempt you. But there are some temptations that seem to crop up in the lives of most Christians at some time or other. And I believe one of those is the temptation to legalism. Now, what's legalism? What do we mean by that? Well, legalism is the idea. That salvation, in any of its aspects, how you receive salvation, how salvation progresses in your life, whether you might lose it at some time, legalism is the idea that in some aspect, in some part, salvation depends on your efforts, on your works. You don't have to believe that all of salvation depends on your efforts to be a legalist. It's enough to believe that things you do somehow contribute a bit to your salvation. That is legalism. That you make some kind of contribution. To being saved. That's legalism, and to think in that way is to manifest a legal spirit. We could call it that. The idea that you make a contribution to salvation. As if God does his bit. Perhaps God puts in grace, but then you have to put in your bit efforts or works and when the two are put together then you're saved. That is legalism and it is a very dangerous way to think. You see in some ways legalism is a very respectable sin. There are some sins that most people will look down on But there are some sins that are quite respectable. That many people wouldn't regard as being sins at all. And legalism is one of them. Because legalism can produce very moral people. People who are very concerned with righteous living. Keeping the commandments even indeed sometimes adding extra rules and regulations of their own to God's law and keeping them all very, very carefully. And that does produce respectable people. In Northern Ireland speak, good living people. And legalism does that. And so many people looking at legalists wouldn't see them as sinners at all. They think they're very fine, upstanding people. Legalists can impress other people. And indeed they can impress themselves. They can find themselves thinking, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm not like that sinner lying in the gutter. I'm a pretty moral person. As a legalist. It's a respectable sin. I suppose that's why it's so dangerous. Some sins are so obvious. They maybe do not ever remotely attract you. But here's a sin that is very respectable. That looks pretty good. And so it is all the more dangerous. Why are people... Often legalists, all sorts of motivations. Maybe it's a a pride in contributing something to salvation. That often is in our, our minds. We don't like to owe absolutely everything to God. We like to think there's a little bit, maybe a small bit, but a bit that I can claim credit for. Pride in making a contribution. Maybe it's an insecurity regarding God's love and their place in God's family. Of course, sometimes that kind of roots back in a person's own family experience. If they felt insecure, then maybe in the family of God they'll feel insecure. They've got to, they've got to prove themselves, or they've got to keep their place in the family. And the idea that is fairly common that perhaps God's love will diminish if we don't obey well enough that God loves us more when we're very obedient and he loves us less if we're not so obedient and if you think that way that can produce frantic efforts to do enough to find peace and assurance To do enough to be sure you're really a Christian and you really belong to God's family. And it can become a real frantic effort. But you see, you'll never be sure you've done enough. If you do some good works, there might be the thought, but I could have done more. Maybe I should have done more. And you try harder. And maybe you think, maybe that's not hard enough. And you try harder. And you're on what's sometimes called a performance treadmill. If you keep running harder and harder to prove you're a Christian. To prove to yourself you're a Christian. To keep God loving you. And it becomes frantic. And in the end it becomes spiritually depressing and destructive. You will never be sure you've done enough. And you'll never have peace. And you're carrying a burden that the Lord doesn't put upon you. Now it seems that was a real problem in the churches in Galatia. Verse 5 of chapter 3 Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And the strong warning when you get down to verse 10 literally Paul says all who are of works of the law are under a curse. As NIV puts it, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Legalism is a serious sin. And it's serious because it strikes at the very heart of the gospel. And yet on the surface, it can look so respectable And quite attractive. And yet when you really get down to what legalism is doing, it's destroying the gospel. And it is saying to people, you can and you must make a contribution to salvation. And the gospel's gone. The danger of legalism. Could it be in your heart of hearts today You're thinking, I've got to do a bit to contribute to salvation. I've got to do something that makes sure God keeps loving me. And that's legalism. And that will do your spiritual life tremendous harm. The danger of legalism. But let's get to the positive. And we need to look secondly at the initiative of grace, the initiative of grace. We're going to think now of how salvation begins. And in our final point, we're going to think about how salvation continues. I've had the negative, but you're not to be doing. but now you want to think about how does salvation begin? How did it begin in your life if you're a Christian today? Verse 3 takes us right to the matter. Beginning with the Spirit. After beginning with the Spirit, are you trying to attain your goal by human effort? Beginning with the Spirit. The starting point for salvation always, always, in any sinner, is the work of God the Holy Spirit. One dimension of Jonah's statement, Jonah 2 and verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. And we must never lose sight of that wonderful truth. Salvation comes from the Lord. If we lose sight of that, or if we compromise it in any way, we've lost the gospel. It's as serious as that. Paul's very concerned about the Galatians. He's afraid that they're, they're losing their way. The Galatians were listening to another message, other than the one Paul had preached. And back in chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7, Paul challenges them and he says he's he's anxious about them. He's anxious, he says, because you're listening to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. You see what Paul is saying. You know in our culture, in our pluralist society people will say well different gospels, different messages, that's fine. You have your gospel I have a different one that works for me yours works for you, that's fine. The idea that there's only one true gospel is just anathema to the world you and I are living in today. And then that's what Paul says. A different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. And that is very counter cultural in our world today. The idea there's only one gospel. But that's what Paul says. That's what the Lord says in his word. Salvation begins when the Lord makes dead. Sinners live by the mighty working of the Holy Spirit. That's the beginning of salvation in any of us. God makes us alive. We were, in the language of Ephesians 2.1, dead in your transgressions and sins. That's what we were. And now, as Paul goes on to say, God has made us alive with Christ. You were dead. Now you're alive. That's the beginning of salvation. And nothing less can save a sinner. Nothing less is adequate. as well tell a dead man to live as tell a dead sinner to live. You can't. It's God's mighty work. And to think that you can make some contribution, even a little one, To that salvation is really a failure to grasp your deadness in sin. If you think that you can contribute to salvation, you haven't really accepted that you were dead in sin. It's God's mighty work. And that means that salvation, as the Bible keeps on emphasizing is all of grace all of grace freely given to us by God Paul and all the New Testament writers constantly emphasize that famous words in Ephesians 2, eight: it is by grace that you have been saved and Paul goes on the very next verse, Ephesians 2, 9. Not by works, so that nobody will boast. It couldn't be clearer than that, could it? It's by grace and not by works. As emphatic as it could be. And the Reformers were exactly right when they emphasized grace alone. Luther and Calvin and all the others. By grace alone. They weren't making it up. They weren't imagining it. They were thoroughly biblical, by grace alone. But then you might say to me, but but what about faith? Where does that come in? What, What place does faith have in salvation? Is that not a contribution that we make to being saved? Well, we must have faith. There is no doubt about it. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Don't be under any illusions about that. Without faith, you will not be saved. Uh, And any preacher who doesn't preach that isn't preaching the gospel. We must tell sinners, you have to believe in Christ in order to be saved. Anything else is a false gospel. But as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, again, that wonderful chapter, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, all of salvation, including our believing in Christ, is a gift of God. When a sinner believes, when you believed, if you're a Christian today, when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the Lord who made you able to believe in Jesus. You had to believe. Nobody believed for you. But it was the Lord who enabled you to believe. It is his gift. And we, we mustn't ever allow our faith to become a kind of of work that we do and we contribute that earns us credit with God that God gives grace and we provide faith and we're saved no, it's all the gift of God it's all of grace from start to finish we mustn't allow faith to slip in the back door and become a sort of work that we do that helps to save us. Even our faith is a loving, gracious gift of God. And if you allow any sort of work to creep in, you're destroying God's grace. By grace, you've been saved. That wonderful, liberating message The freedom of knowing it's by God's grace that a sinner is saved and not by some contribution that he manages to make. The gospel is really freeing and lifts burdens off us. It's a delightful thing. The danger of legalism. That's the background. The initiative of grace that's where salvation starts. And then finally we think of the rejection of works. The rejection of works. We thought about how salvation starts. It starts with God's grace. Now we're thinking about how salvation continues in your life. And Paul is telling us that having begun by grace we have to continue by grace. There's no other way. And so he asks in verse 3, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? If you're using the, the ESV translation that's by the flesh, but that's the idea it's by human effort. So you started by grace, Paul says, but are you now trying to go on by your own efforts? And that's how some Christians seem to think. They seem to think that you start the Christian life by God's grace. He forgives your sin. But from there on, it depends on your efforts. So you start by grace But it appears for them you're supposed to go on by works, by by effort. And some, at least in Galatia, seem to be doing that. They started relying on God's grace, but then they're going on, thinking they have to depend on their own efforts. But we mustn't go back to that old sinful approach Of trying to earn or contribute to salvation by your efforts. We must finish the way we began. And that's by grace. Think of a text like Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You'll have heard that verse before all our righteous acts are like filthy rags and we emphasize that to people who aren't converted yet we say to people who aren't yet Christians your efforts to be good your righteous acts can't save you in fact they're an offense to God even to think that what you do could manage to save you and that's the right way to use that verse But it remains true when you are a Christian. And sometimes perhaps we don't think of it that way. But it is still true when you're a Christian, when you're converted. That efforts on your part to be righteous, that you think contribute to being saved or staying saved, are filthy rags. They are an insult to God. And to God's grace to come to God and say, Look, Lord, here's something I've done that that contributes to being saved, to staying a Christian. Yes, your grace is great, Lord, but here's a little bit that I'm doing. That's an insult to God and to God's grace, even to think that you can contribute something. Or that God's grace needs your contribution. Filthy rags. In fact, to continue or to try and continue in the way of salvation by your own efforts. Actually is impossible. And we need to be repenting not just of our open sins. But of righteous acts that we are offering as part of salvation as earning something from God. We need to be repenting of those efforts. Now that doesn't mean that we fall into a sin that's really the opposite of legalism. Legalism is a danger. The idea you contribute to salvation. That By keeping God's law you're somehow gaining merit with God. So we reject legalism but there's a sin on the other side. We call antinomianism. It's a big word, but it's important to know what it means. Antinomianism is the idea that's often cropped up in the Christian church. That once you're saved as a Christian, you don't need to think about God's law. You did not have any concern about obeying God's law. You're done with that. You just live by the Spirit. And God's law has nothing to say to the Christian. That's antinomianism. The word means anti-law. The law isn't over and done with for Christians. No, obeying God's law doesn't save you. That's legalism. But once you're a Christian, how are you to live? How do you know what the Christian life looks like? And God's law tells us. God's law is a guide for Christian living. And with God's help and God's grace, as Christians we are to love God's law and we are to obey it. What does Jesus tell his disciples in John 14:15? If you love me you will keep my commandments. The law has a vital place for Christians to show our love and to show our gratitude to the God who saved us. And so we don't fall into antinomianism that says, forget about God's law. You don't need to bother about it. That's your guide for life that God has given you. But keeping the law doesn't contribute to your salvation. And we must never think that somehow our efforts will will make God love us more or that our sins will make him love us less. As the Bible shows us, the love of God can't increase and can't decrease. It is always infinite. And remember God loved you when he knew the worst about you. There is no sin you will now commit that will surprise God or that will take away from his love. What does Romans 5, 8 tell us? God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When God knew the very worst about you, and the darkest corners of your heart he loved you and he provided a savior for you how could we think that somehow now our sins would take away from that love reduce it in any way paul speaks of the savior in galatians 2:20 the son of god who loved me and gave himself me and we think that our pathetic little efforts at obedience could somehow add to that or contribute to that wonderful abundant grace of God how would we dare say Lord here's something I'm adding to it here's something I'm contributing Your grace isn't quite enough to save me. Our little efforts are unnecessary and they're futile. Instead, as Christians, we should be living in the freedom of God's love and God's grace. He loves us with an infinite love. And at the end of Romans 8, read it for yourself. At the end of Romans 8, reminds us nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. High, depth, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nothing can separate us from that love. And that sets us free to live for the Lord and to keep his commandments joyfully and willingly. Grace has saved us. And grace will bring us safely home. It is grace all the way. And what freedom that gives us. What joy it should give us. And all the praise and glory belong to the Lord.